On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. And they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com backslash roadie. That's BetterHelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other, they're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, stories from the road. Well, uh, shoot, let's start with, uh, I guess, just a little bit of background, man. Um, before I got into the fire service, I was actually in ministry full-time for eight years, and uh, I have a, a master's in theological studies and undergrad in psychology, and uh, anyway, man, really enjoyed it and loved doing that. So actually, I still do it part-time. I work with the students at our church, and you know, just have a blast doing that. Uh, a couple of different times during my career in ministry, I felt like I needed to go to the fire service. And, and it happened a couple of different times. And the second time that it happened, it was one of those things that if I didn't do it, I was going to question myself for the rest of my life. And so some things had just been kind of going on. I had a couple of possibilities that didn't work out in ministry. And really just kind of at this point, I was like, well, you know what, now's as good a time as any. And so I, I kind of jumped ship from full-time ministry into the fire service. And, and really, honestly, the entire time, my intentions were to impact the people that I worked beside. I didn't know what that was going to look like. This is something that had been on my heart for a while to to impact firefighters and is kind of broadened to first responders as a whole. Um, but originally I was like, man, how, how can I, you know, as a pastor, as someone who's in ministry every day, how can I impact these, these first responders. And I grew up around it. My dad was a volunteer firefighter. That's all we had here in Newton County, which is where I still live. Uh, they didn't go full time until man, probably I was, uh, I guess going into high school. And so <clears throat> he had the opportunity to be able to do that, but 
the pay wasn't very good at the time and he obviously had to take care of his family. So he de- he declined that and just continued to be a volunteer for a while until he had a couple of injuries that took him out from that. So uh, I'm familiar with the fire service, grew up around it, love every aspect of it. And so my plan was, you know, how can I make a difference in these people? And really what I realized is that if I'm not in it myself, if I don't know what this job is like and, and, and the way that they live a lifestyle, then I'm never going to be able to fully get credibility from these people as I start talking with them and see, you know, how I I can make a difference. And so in 2015 is when I decided to jump into the fire service full time. I started with Gwinnett County. Um, I was at station nine and then went to station six. And that's where I was before I left in 2017 to go um, up to Sandy Springs, which is where I'm currently at. Um, I'm at station 53, which is our tech rescue house. So get to have a lot of fun doing all that stuff. We have swift water, we have ropes, we have, you know, confined space, all, all the cool stuff, man. The things that I really enjoy. And, um, you know, we all laugh at cancel the squad page is fantastic. And, uh, we have a blast of that, man, but uh, I love doing that stuff. I love the fire service and, uh, man, I, I couldn't imagine my life without it now. Um, but back to really where my, my story starts is, is in Gwinnett County. And, and really that's what allowed me to also start Next Strong, which is a nonprofit where we tackle the mental health issues of firefighters and first responders across the United States. Um, and during my time at Gwinnett, we, we lost a guy on the job to suicide. And that was my first experience with it. His name was Sam Garrison. And Sam was an adjunct instructor the whole time that I was going through rookie school. So I got to know him you know, pretty well. We weren't best friends or anything like that, but this is someone that I got to see a lot going through rookie school and, you know, just always had a good conversation with him, always cutting up. He was always smiling. And uh, anyway, so uh, about six months in or a little more uh, to my rookie year, man, I remember getting the text message across my phone that that Sam was no longer with us. And uh, later, you know, we, we find out that he took his life. And so, man, it really just impacted me. And it just made me realize that you never know what people are going through. And, Anyway, so it just made me do some research and start looking into the suicides in the fire service. And at this point, it's kind of gaining some some ground and some traction as to, you know, suicides are actually outnumbering the line of duty deaths and so many other things that really go into that. And so as I started looking at, at that, I wanted to I wanted to tackle that issue. I wanted to, to make a difference there. And so uh, in 2017, that's when we started Next Drunk and Honestly, at first, we were just going to be a t-shirt company. We were going to sell some apparel and stuff like that. And uh, we were going to donate the profits back to a nonprofit. And as we started doing that and researching more and more, we we couldn't find anyone that was doing exactly what we're doing at this moment. So we decided to put our money where our mouth is and we signed up to to make a difference. And uh, my co-director has been a huge help in that. He's on the West Coast out in California. Um, his name is Charlie Brown, which is awesome. So um, anyway, man, we always get a, a kick out of that. And people are like, is his name really Charlie Brown? It absolutely is. So uh, anyway, man, but Charlie is an awesome guy. And he and I decided together that we were going to tackle the mental health issues of firefighters and first responders. And so um, we we signed up to do that. We became a nonprofit and we opened a helpline that's available seven days a week. Um, for the first year and a half, it was just he and I answering phone calls and 
uh, now uh, about five years later, um, we have about 17, 18 people that help answer those phone calls with us. So it's been really cool to see how it's grown. And so people can call that help number and they're going to get a first responder on the other side. And so when they call and talk to someone, they're getting somebody who understands the lifestyle that they live because they live it themselves. And we just kind of help navigate them through whatever they're facing at the moment and, and talk with them and see, you know, what exactly we can do for them. If it's outside of our scope, then what we do is we suggest that they'll go see a counselor. And if they don't have a counselor that's close or near or that they feel comfortable with, then we'll help find that counselor for them. And uh, so no matter where they are, they have someone to reach out to at all times. And then we can be a resource for them to help find a counselor in their area. And if they need financial assistance, then we help in, in, in that area as well. So just been really cool. And then we have kind of slowly um, kind of tiptoed into another aspect of professional help and sending people to uh, treatment facilities. So if they have addiction or their mental health has taken them to the point where they need to step away for about 30 to 45 days and overcome that, then we can help find a treatment facility for them. And uh, again, we can help provide financial assistance for that as well. So man, it's been absolutely incredible. We've helped uh, at this point, we've been, we're going on year five and we've helped over a thousand first responders through our, our peer support program. We've helped so many uh, with counseling and then we've helped quite a few uh, with the treatment facilities as well. So that's just a little bit about who I am and, and what I do. And uh, I'm married. I have a beautiful wife. She's a nurse. We were just talking about that a second ago. Um, and I have two kids. And man, they are absolutely the, the biggest reason as to why I do all these things. You know, I, I want to set an example for them. I want to be someone who, who gives um, wholeheartedly and Man, whatever that looks like, I just want to do it um, with the best intentions and give it everything I got. So um, I'm here in the fire service to make a difference in the people beside me. Um, and coincidentally, I love the job and everything about it as well, you know, from uh, going to fires and, and running, you know, medical calls aren't my favorite, but I'll do it. You know what I mean? I'm a paramedic. So um, it's part of the job, you know, it's a big part of our job. So obviously we're running medical calls, but Every firefighter loves going to fires or accidents or, you know, anything kind of crazy like that. Man, I love all of it. I love training. I love instructing. I love everything that encompasses the fire service and have met so many incredible people through all of that. Uh, I worked part time for about uh, almost three and a half years at Newton County, which is where I live, which is cool. You know, like you get to work in your community, you get to serve and be a part of that. And so this is a community that I'm very familiar with because I grew up in it. And, and so, it, you know, the impact is a little bit different um, because I drive down these roads. I, I see these places all the time and it's not something that you can, I, I guess, just escape and get away from. You're, you're constantly reminded of the things that, that you do because uh, it's in your community. So for those who, who serve in their community, like where they live, man, uh, more power to you because you see and do so much that is so close to home. This call specifically, it was, man, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I want to say it was 2018. It was um, right before Thanksgiving. It was probably about three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And I remember walking out of Walmart and we're getting back in the rig and the call comes out. I get it on my phone first because we're, we had the, the alert text uh, on an app and it said overturned vehicle with children trapped under it. 
and we're like, man, just racking my brain, you know, just going through the steps that we all go through, you know, when we hear a call come out like that, you know, and, and number one, I think is like, man, where is this? Because my family lives in this community. I hope it's not them. Um, you know, number two, just trying to get more notes and hearing, you know, the radio traffic and stuff like that. Um, and so anyway, we weren't getting a whole lot of updates. And so we have the address. Uh, I'm, I'm riding backwards and just going through the motions, just, uh, you know, what am I going to pull? What am I going to take off the rig when I get there? You know, what, what, what can I prepare myself for now? And so we're on our way there, you know, just kind of, you know, preparing ourselves for the call. My, my lieutenant is talking, Hey, grab this, grab that. When we get there, all those things. Anyway, we end up jumping off the rig and there's a few other that are in response with a couple of med units and we go down Kirkland road, which is where it's at. And I remember, pulling and coming around the curve and we see that it's not an overturned vehicle it's a vehicle that left the roadway and went through a garage and so i'm like okay you know what's what's going on here we're one of the first units on scene and we're trying to figure out what exactly is going on and we hear the screaming we hear like all these things you know that you hear on familiar familiar calls like this and so we're getting out we're trying to figure out exactly what's going on and we get to the garage um, and the vehicle was a truck that left the roadway, went through a garage door and it hit a minivan inside the garage. Well, it slung it through the wall and it had one kid pinned against the wall and the minivan between uh, the minivan, a trash can and a wall. And then there was another kid that was underneath. And so, you know, I've never I've never been on a call. And maybe it was just a type of floor that it was. Maybe it was just whatever. But I've never seen so much blood in my life when I walked up and I was like, what is going on right now? Like, I'm just trying to gather my thoughts, just get all the equipment that we need, get to the kid. EMS comes up and they're helping out and doing a fantastic job and, you know, just trying to to keep the, the kid stable. But one was trapped under the vehicle and we had to get him out. And the other one was trapped between a vehicle, a trash can and a wall. And so we're trying to stabilize them. We're trying to, you know, provide them the best care possible. We're, we're calling life flights. So we're trying to do absolutely everything we can to to get them taken care of, stabilized to the back of a med unit until life flight can come. And uh, so we're talking, uh, man, and, and really these two kids were in the garage looking for a hamster that he, one of the kids had just gotten for his birthday and uh, they weren't brothers. They were friends. So the friend was hanging out with them. And uh, as they were out looking for the hamster is when this vehicle left the roadway and, and came through the garage and, and obviously the, the things ensued that happened. And there was a, a, a Mel and his son that were in the vehicle um, that left the roadway. So we're trying to you know make sure they're taken care of while trying to take care of these these two kids that have been, man, just just hurt badly. And so, like I said, man, I have never walked up on a call and seen so much blood and come to find out that one of the kids that I worked on initially he ended up breaking most of his bones from his hip down, had several reconstructive surgeries and just was a long road of recovery for him. The other kid actually ended up not making it. Um, and I remember working him all the way to the hospital uh, because we couldn't life flight him at, at that point. He went into cardiac arrest, traumatic arrest. And man, I just, uh, 
it's a call that sticks with me, man. Number one, because Thanksgiving is probably one of my my favorite holidays outside of Christmas. I absolutely love the the family, the the meals, you know, everything that ensues with that. The kids, you know, being off for break and just kind of kicking off the holiday season. It's just uh, again a road that I'm familiar with as well. That I grew up going up and down that road, and occasionally still go down uh, every now and then when when I'm in my hometown. So it just impactful for a couple of different reasons. Honestly, is you know I, I worked on both of the kids, man, and it's hard when one doesn't make it. If you've ever been in that situation, then you know. If you haven't, then you can still somewhat understand because it's kids, man, and. and they were kind of close to my kids' age at the time and just really, man, I just I wanted more than anything to be able to help save them. And, you know, just looking back at everything, you know, one of the things I have to do is go back and process through those calls and just run through it. You know, what could I've done differently? Is there anything that I could have done better to possibly have saved this kid, you know? And the answer is no. Like it just is completely out of my hands. Like I, I gave the best care possible. I, I did the best CPR possible. We tried everything that we could in the meantime, but just due to the injuries that he sustained, man, it just wasn't um, the the odds were not in his favor. The trash can that got caught between him and the minivan it actually broke in half, and it ended up like an evisceration basically from his chest all the way down to his knee. And so there's just, I mean, it's too much going on that, that we couldn't help and stop. And, and obviously man just uh, ended up um, just uh, dying from the injuries that he sustained. And so uh, overall you go back and look at what we did and, and the, the care that we gave and, uh, just getting them out from the vehicles and all the other things that ensued. Uh, and we did everything that we could. The one kid that I started working on first, he actually survived. You know, he, he went through several surgeries. Um, and I think this call is even harder for this. Um, about a year later, that kid that made it after several surgeries and being with his family and, and you know, surviving some of the, the craziest things that he could have survived. He ended up taking his life and just, man, it broke my heart when I heard the news, you know, um, just just something that you hate to hear altogether. But I remember uh, I was actually at work that morning and we ended up getting canceled to the call for whatever reason. You know, I, I believe that guy was looking out for me not to have to go and run that call on that same kid that I'd run a call on a, a little over a year before, you know, it just it just kind of a twofold, you know, and, and, and things like that. And I think that's probably why it sticks out so much to me, you know, call that will stick with me forever. And, you know, I understand, you know, in a sense of, man, he'd been through a lot already in his life and he was only 13 years old when, when this happened. Um, he was 12 years old when it happened and 13, when he took his life and, man, it, it broke my heart for that reason too. At 13, what could be so bad, that you want to take your life and um, details kind of leaked out and uh, he had had a girlfriend, the girlfriend broke up with him and uh, they believe that that was kind of the reason I, I'm sure obviously there was a lot more that was involved in it, you know, being involved in the accident and being, you know, kind of paralyzed temporarily until he went through all those surgeries and just struggling to come back from that. You know, I, I I know that there's a lot of details that go into probably why he took his life. I just, I just hate that, 
number one, I couldn't have a conversation with them. And, and I know I can't save everyone, you know, even in next strong and what we do, we know that we can't save every first responder and uh, we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that we do that though. We're going to try our best to, to make sure that we can, can do everything that we can. That's why, man, it sticks out in just a bunch of, of different ways. Um, and it, it's just so personal because that's one of the things that we do is, you know, through Next Strong, we try to tackle the issue of suicide and we try to help people, you know, to to not get to that point or to help them step away from, you know, being in that mindset of, man, like there's nothing else left for, for me except for to take my life and to, you know, ease the pain that way and and not be a burden anymore or whatever is going through the mind of that person at the time when they do that. Um, anyway, we, we come to find out later as well that uh, after a trial, uh, the vehicle that left the roadway, the, the driver was intoxicated. And so, man, like there all these emotions are just, you know, going through your mind of, man, like all this could have been prevented, you know? And so, and then after, you know, hearing that the one kid ended up taking his life, you know, I just, it, you kind of stirred all that stuff back up again. Like, man, all this could have been prevented possibly, but it wasn't, you know, and we're there uh, and, and we experience those things time and time again, you know, and it's just trying to figure out, you know, how, how do we move through this stuff? How do we process through this stuff for me? You know, that that's what I'm looking for because, at the end of the day, like I have to go back and look and say, did you, did you provide the best care possible? Did you do everything that you could? That's something that I will always ask myself from every call, whether it's a stub toe or a structure fire or any type of call. Like I, we're going to go back, we're going to have a hot wash and we're going to say, Hey, is there anything that we could have done better? Or, Hey, was everything smooth that, it you know, go flawlessly. And even when things go flawlessly, there's still a chance that the outcome is not what you wish and hope for. Um, and we see that a lot in this job over our time in, in, in this career. You know, I think we hold ourselves to a much higher standard than the public or anybody else holds us to. It's interesting that you, that you talk about that. You know, did we do everything we could? And we probably, you know, somebody from the outside looking in is going to say, man, that thing went, went off without a flaw and it still had a negative outcome. And we're going to look at that all day long and say, but we could have done this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of times we're our own worst enemy in so many different things. And you do have to eventually look at stuff and say, man, I did everything that I could. And you have to be okay with that because if not, if you allow yourself to get in a state of, well, if I'd have just done this or if we'd have gotten there a minute faster or whatever, you know, like even things that are outside of your control, you know, we try to, gather that and, and get a grasp on it so that we can be in charge of it because that's what we like to do. Like we, we want to, to pull those reins in and be in charge of every single aspect that we can, but man, we're given a task. And when we show up, we don't know what that's going to look like. You know, so many times you get something or you hear a call or have a call that comes out you get there and it's nothing at all what you expected. And sometimes it's, you know, nothing at all, you know, it might like, it's just, okay, this was just a false call. It's like, well, how did it, how did it come out as the way that it did? And what was, you know, all this radio traffic and all of this, man, like it escalated quickly and then it de-escalates quickly, you know, and then you get this stuff that you don't have much notes on. You don't have much radio traffic on. And it's one of the, the craziest calls that you've ever been on in your life. And that just, you know, that's really what this one was, is just one of those calls where you didn't know what to expect. The notes were wrong. You know, it wasn't at all what they said that it was. And 
you know, they're just having trouble getting information and relaying it back. And once you get there, man, this is the cards that you're dealt and you got to do the best that you can with what you got. And so that's where we were. Uh, but yeah, man, that's to me probably the, the most impactful call that, that I've ever run. And it's not one of those things that I dwell on in a sense of, man, like all these emotions continue to come back, but it is a part of my story now. It is something that I do think about. And, and I have a call that I, you know, I can use to relate to other people in this field, man, we have to use those things to our advantage because we're going to go through some things that we don't wish upon ourselves or, or even anyone else, you know, but the, the truth is in this career, this job that we work is, man, we're going to be a part of some awful situations and we're just there to try to to make it better. We're, we're there to triage and do what we can, you know, and, and make the best of the, the cards that were dealt. And sometimes we can perform the absolute greatest miracles of all time, you know, with the things that we have. And then sometimes we have to walk away and say, there, there's nothing else that we can do. So, you know, it's just part of it. And, and if anyone's in this career or whoever's listening, you know, if you've been a part of it at all, then you know what that's like. And, and so I, I just challenge people to utilize those stories. Um, you know, number one, I challenge you to, to overcome it in your own life, because if we if we don't, if we don't process through it, if we just kind of file it back to the back of our brain or our mind, man, that's a dangerous thing for us. And we're really good at doing that. We're really good at just, uh, you know what, it's fine. We'll move on. You know, we're making jokes at the dinner table, you know, like 30 minutes later or, or three hours later about whatever so that we can you know, deal and cope with this stuff. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I, you know, I do that as well. And, and, you know, we, we have a good time, but eventually if we don't deal with it, all these things just continue to compound over time. And man, in our career, they, they've already seen it, you know, for first responders and anyone in any, any type of career where they're exposed to trauma, uh, every time that they go to work, man, we're faced with, you know, all this stuff over, you know, a 30 year span or a 35 year span. And what they're saying now is for us as first responders, like we're exposed to more trauma than those who are in the military because theirs is all dosed at one time or maybe two or three times, depending on how many tours that they have. And and it's all dosed in, in a short time. And then they come back and they're faced with reality. But ours is dosed over a longer period of time. And so our body basically, man, like it starts to adapt to it in a way where we just start to push it back and we forget about it. And, and you know, we don't think that it's going to be an issue until one day there's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And that could be 10 years into our career. It could be 30 years. It could be after we retire. It could be within our first couple of years, you know, into the service, depending on what we're exposed to. But man, I, I do, I challenge people to to take those things and just talk about it. My, my challenge to everyone is, you have the ability where you are in your position, you know, if you're in a firehouse or if you're uh, on a med unit or you're a police officer or, or whatever, you have the ability to impact the people in your sphere of influence for that day. And the best way that we can do that is just by being ourselves and being real and, and just getting to know the people around us. You know, um, there's so many things that take our time and attention away from people around us, you know, whether that's our cell phones or 
whatever, man, like we, we tend to kind of seclude ourselves, man, be a family and like actually talk to people and get to know them and their families and share that stuff. If we would just talk about it at our level, wherever we are, man, I think a lot of this stuff would, would really subside in a way for those of us that have that ability. Again, you know, I guess some of my takeaways from that, you know, I just realize that everything that I've been through, everything that I've experienced in this career, man, there are so many contributing factors as to why I do the things that I do and the way that I do them. And uh, I just want to be able to pass that on. I just want to be able to show and share with people that, and we're all the same at the end of the day, like we all have hearts to serve and we all have, you know, the mindset to, to be the best that we can and to give our best efforts. And I mean, we got to be there for each other because no one else understands these things the way that we understand them because uh, this career is very unique. And there are other careers out there that are, are very unique in, in the things that they face. But I, I know for us as, as firefighters and first responders, man, it's, it's an absolutely incredible career one of the, the best careers I could have ever become a part of. I've met some of the most incredible people as well along the way. Mentors, friends, you know, people that I call family now. We are the type of people that we will help everyone else and we will exclude ourselves from that same help, you know? And, and so, you know, that's that's really where we have to, to come and, and, and start fixing things is for ourselves and the people that are around us. If we could do that, Man, we could have a, a, a long, a longer life than I think some of us have at the end of the day. You know, I think that's one of the things that the younger generation of firefighters and first responders are really embracing. I know when I was 18, 20 years old in the firehouse, we run horrific calls and nobody says a word about it. Or we sit at the bar and we drink and we drink a couple of beers and we joke around mm-hmm. about it. But I, I, it's it's so promising to see you know people talking about what they're seeing in the field, even your organization. You know, 20, 30 years ago, an organization like Next Rung would, you know, almost be sort of shunned like, ah, we don't need that. We're good. We're men. We do our job. But mm-hmm. now, you know, I think the work that you do is in, it, that you're doing with Next Rung is incredibly important. And more so, I think it's being embraced. And I think that's what we really need. I, I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing. I think it's incredible. Any chance that I get to talk about it, I will. Um, and I hope you'll come back and, and share some more stories with us and also share some more of the work that you're doing with Next Rung because it, it's certainly needed and it's it's a phenomenal uh, organization to to go out there and help firefighters when they're in need. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And we, we love what we get to do, you know, and just thankful for the opportunity. Um, what we always tell people is thank you for trusting us with your story because we know that it's not easy, like you said. And you know, I, I grew up with a dad in the fire service, man, at the times where they didn't talk about it and he still doesn't talk about it. You know what I mean? Like it just isn't, it's, it's not something that they do and, and weren't expected to do and trained to do is like, Hey, suck it up kid and move on, you know? And, and I, I do get that. Like we do have to, we have to move on. We have to continue to do our job. But, um, one of the things that I believe as well is that, yeah, we signed up for this job, but we don't always know how it's going to impact us. And so the the more help that we can get, you know, the, the better for us, because and I want to see people leave this career and still in love with it. You know, I don't want to see them love, you know, 
leaving because they hate it or because they were forced to or, or anything else. I want them to say, hey, it's my time to retire and I'm out of here, you know, and still have that that love for the job that they had the first day. And so I've seen people who haven't had that and, and didn't have that ability and were forced to leave for so many different reasons or even to the point where they thought that the greatest solution was to take their life and I'm, I'll say this too, is I know all that's not from the job. I understand that we have a lot of things that are going on in our personal lives as well. But I also know that this job doesn't help when it comes to the struggles that we have in our personal life because uh, of all the things that we see and that we are a part of. It's just uh, another thing added on top of it and can be the tipping point for us at times. Um, because sometimes we, we try to escape all those things and then we come to work and we get loaded down even more. And then we try to escape that by going home and we get loaded down with even more stuff there because of whatever is going on in our personal life. But no, man, I appreciate the opportunity to come and talk and, and just be able to share a little bit of my story. And thank you for letting me share about Next Drunk as well. Well, it's my pleasure to have you on and you're welcome to come back anytime you want. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you're listening on. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this or other podcasts we're producing, please visit browndogsmedia.com. Thank you for listening.